Well, you know, as you come to the end of the year, I don't know what you do, and think about you start the new year. I always, and I notice the older I get, the more I do this. Some of you can relate to this. Others of you, your day will come too. But the older I get, the more I look back on my life and realize things I am especially thankful for and people. And I'm sure most all of us do that. And as I was thinking about that, even this very week, uh, the thought came to my mind, you know, one of the things I am so very thankful for is the Bible. Now, I know you expect me to say that. I'm a preacher. And, you know, you say, well, there's no, but let me tell you. I was thankful for the Bible long before I became a preacher. And so I brought along this morning some Bibles. Actually, I have a little over, I have in excess of a hundred Bibles. You say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, I've been at this a long time and many of them are gifts by people. Many of them are this translation, that translation, all these kind of things. But, you know, I, yesterday, as recent as yesterday, as I was thinking about this, I thought about, you know, some of my Bibles, I mean, all of them, the word of God, whatever the translation it's the word of God. God's the author. Could I have an amen to that? And God used human beings to be the writers, but God's the author. The Holy Spirit directed them in what they wrote. Now, I have some very special Bibles. Like when I just see the Bible on the shelf or laying on the desk or whatever, I, I, I remember now where, where I got that Bible. Like, for example, are you interested in this at all? Or is it just, yeah, well, this is the Bible that was given to me when I graduated from high school in 1959 by a man and a woman who were probably my mother and father's uh, closest friends. And they had known me all of my life. And they gave me this Bible for my graduation gift. And this remained my Bible actually until I went to seminary. And so when I look at this Bible, I'm, I'm amazed as I look back, things I was writing in the Bible as uh, that age in my life, that season, uh, little notes I'd made over in the back. It's just, a, you know, I have a lot of special memories of that Bible. Now, another Bible that's very special to me is this Bible. Uh, Dottie gave me this, you remember this, on our 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, in the front of it, I have a picture of Dottie and me and John renewing our vows. Uh, I remember when we did that, I started telling people where to stand. And John said, Dad, this time I'm in control. Uh, I remember his saying that. But anyway, now this Bible, I love this Bible. This is NIV. And so, and then this Bible, uh, this Bible, John gave me this Bible actually on February the 4th, 2021, last year. This is a New Living Translation, and it has a special print that's easier to read, and I really appreciate that. And then here's another Bible that's very special to me. John gave me this Bible on June 18th last year, and, and, uh, this Bible is the New King James, and uh, in the front of it, I have picture. I have both of our grandchildren put their hands, in, and I, I drew around, so when I pray for them, I can put my hand over there. I know that's kind of a, you know, you know, you say, boy, you are getting old in your mind. Well, anyway, uh, that's a sp and then <laughs> my most recent Bible, John, John must really think I need to read the Bible. 
because he has bombarded me with these Bible. This was my, one of my Christmas gifts from John, December 21st, 2021. He wrote me a very nice note. This is the new, the new Adrian Rogers uh, legacy Bible. I had the other Bible, the Adrian Rogers Bible, but then this Bible has some. So I have, a, and all these, and I have many more. Uh, the Bible that I used the first 10 years that I preached in his church as pastor, uh, I have given that Bible, I think, to John. Uh, I, I, it was not in my home study yesterday. I believe that's where that Bible is. And then, this may be my most special Bible of all of them, this little New Testament right here. You remember I mentioned that Providence Baptist Church in Georgia, our first church we went to. And what a blessed, those, those almost three years were some of the greatest three years. Every pastor should start out pastoring a country church. That would be, if I were drawing up seminary criteria, I would say, before you get out here, you, everybody, you'll learn more from them than they'll learn from you. And I learned a great deal from them in those years. But anyway, when we left that church, Dottie gave me this little New Testament as a little gift. And she wrote in it, she said, as you witness, may this be your God. My love and prayers always go with you. August 15th, 1969. And I've got, I still use this Bible. I've, I've, I've used this Bible to share how to be saved with, with endless numbers of people. And I cherish this little Bible. I just, I just really do. And it's, it's, uh, it's kind of getting in battered shape as is its owner. But, uh, anyway, it's still intact and I wouldn't take anything for it. And then <laughs> here's another new Bible. John gave me this Bible. I've got to talk to John about this. I don't know. He gave me this on August 21st. And, uh, Again, it's, a, it's, it's very much like the Bible. We give all the new members that come. But anyway, having said all that, don't you also thank God for the Bible? Yeah. And in the Bible, there are 66 books. It's like having a library all in one book. It really is. And God wrote them all. He let humans be the writers. But one of my favorite books in the Bible is the book, of James. Now, I didn't say it's my favorite, but it would be on my list of very favorite books. I want you to turn to the book of James in your Bible. We're going to read there in a moment. You know, the book of James, it's like in the New Testament, what Proverbs is in the Old Testament. Very practical, very easy to understand, deals with real life issues, real life things. It's not, a, it's not a great book of theology like the book of Romans, which well may be the greatest book in the whole Bible. Who knows? They're all God's word, but this book of James is a fantastic book. Written, the writer, the author's God, but the writer, the half-brother of Jesus. You know, Jesus had four half-brothers, and... Uh, uh, they, they, were, uh, they were sons of Mary and Joseph. But of course, as we preached at the Christmas Eve service, Jesus, born of a virgin, God the Father was his father. And uh, that's, that's just the most intriguing thing and most important thing because his virgin birth makes our atonement possible. Well, James, and you remember, if you remember much about James, for a long time, he did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. And understandably, 
He, he, I, I can, I, I've thought often about that. But then he did become a believer and he became uh, the leader in the church in Jerusalem. And it's just a very interesting thing. Now, in the book of James, I want you to look at me in chapter number four. And I think this will help you kind of see why I love this book so much because it is so, it is so where you and I live. And in James chapter number four, pick up with me in verse number 13. The Bible says, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Now let's stop just a moment. It's interesting in your Bible, the word we, the pronoun we, some translations translate that led us only appears in the new King James one time, but it's implied several times. Look at it again today or tomorrow. Now this speaks to, to a group of people who say this, what we are going to such and such a city. And it's implied we will spend a year there and it's implied we're going to buy and sell and it's implied we again and make a profit. In other words, he's talking to people. The Bible is talking to people. By the way, Christian people. James wrote to Jewish believers. So everything in the book of James would apply to you and to me as a believer. And think about it a moment. It's so easy to just say now, We've got to plan out the year. Nothing wrong with planning out the year, except if you make the mistake this group made. No involvement of God mentioned. We're going to do this, and we're going to go there, and we're going to sell, and we're going to make a profit. And it's all about for themselves. It's nothing about we're going to make a profit so we can give some to do kingdom work. Now, I want to encourage you as you make your plans, and we all make plans, don't make your plans and then just ask God to bless your plans. I fear oftentimes that's what we do, and I'm guilty more than I should be. In fact, I shouldn't be guilty any, but we'll, we'll, we'll say, well, we're going to plan this. We're going to plan. See, some people have their, their whole life kind of planned out. And then, you know, they're going to plan this. But if they don't have God included, they've, they've kind of missed the boat and they'll pay for it out there. He goes on to say this, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. In other words, the New Living Translation says it like this in a way, you'll be here for a little while and then what? <laughs> then you're gone. Well, I think we can all relate to that. Uh, there's an old proverb. You might want to jot it down the bulletin, maybe somewhere, even maybe right in the margin of your Bible somewhere. It's a good, it's a good old proverb. It says, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Have you ever noticed in your life <laughs> how things can come into life? You would never have expected that. Expect the unexpected. Well, we're busy making our plans. We've not included God, but we have it all mapped out. If we're not careful, it's all about me and mine. That's this group he's talking to. And I remind Jewish believers, you would think this would be how non-believers would live, but no, James is right on target. Then he goes on to say, 
in verse 15, this is a key verse. Instead, you ought to say, he says, this is what you should say. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But, now watch this. Now you boast in your arrogance. Better translation would be in your plans. Uh, Some of your newer translations will say that. All such boasting is evil, it's sin. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now you say, well, what's the big teaching of all that? Well, the mistake, not knowing God's will in doing it. They, they were busy with their own plans, with their own will. And we have to watch that. Be careful about that. God, it's the human way. And we all do it, if we think about it, pay attention more than we might realize. Now, from this verse 15, look at it again. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this and that. Well, from that verse, I felt God impressed upon me to make my biblical resolution for 2022. And I'm going to share it with you. In fact, I'm going to ask you if you have a bulletin to fill in the blanks in a moment. Now, you, you may be turned off. I, I struggled about this word resolution because people, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a friction word. You know, people say, ah, you know, I make resolutions. And, well, maybe, maybe, a, maybe I should have called it my, my spiritual goal. You know, I, I hope you have some spiritual goals for this year else you'll just coast through the year. And the sad thing is you won't even stay spiritual where you are. If you have no goals whatsoever, you either move forward or you move backwards. You don't, you don't stay static. My, my spiritual resolution or my spiritual goal for 2022 is very simple. This, to know God's will and do it. And I wish you'd jot that in the bulletin. To know God's will and do it. And that's really what he's talking about here. He said, if the Lord wills, well, you've got to know what God's will is. We shall live and do this or that. Now, many times we know God's will. <laughs> Bible's very clear. We just don't do it. I think many other times we don't know God's will. Probably we've not sought it. We're, we're laying out our own will, our own plan. But when you think about like the will of God. Look, all of us in this room, I would believe with all my heart, want to do what God wants us to do. Could I have an amen to that? I mean, you wouldn't be at church first Sunday, kind of weather's changed, cold. Here we are. Uh, what, what, what do I know? Well, a lot of diversity in the room, but I think one thing that's the same in the room, deep down, All of us want to do the will of God. I want to do what God wants me to do. You want to do what God wants you to do. But then when you plug that into the practical issues of life, you know, number one, I believe God has a will for everything in life. God has a plan. God has a purpose. But this whole idea of knowing the will of God, it sounds like some mystic thing, like, you know, you know, how can you know? Do you go on Google and say, could you please tell me what the will of God is? Or do you ask the lady on the other end of that phone? We might and ask her these questions. Well, no, well, first of all, in the Bible, there are clear passages and verses 
that say this is the will of God. You know. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, there are, there are lessons and principles that as you read in stories in the Old Testament especially, and, and it, there's no verse that says, now this is the will of God, but as you read it, you, you see that, you know, there's a story about a person that obviously didn't follow God's plans. God never would have planned a thing like that. But what I want to do this morning, back up, put your, uh, put your car in reverse and back up to the book of First Thessalonians. Just start backing up a few books and you'll be in First Thessalonians. And I've chosen this little section of scripture because I can keep us all almost on the same page, maybe one page change here. And we're going to see in the Bible some things the Bible says, these things are the will of God. No if and but, here it is. Now the apostle Paul writing to this church at Thessalonica, I've been there twice And, you know, Paul was there maybe four months, maybe six months. He left Philippi and went to Thessalonica and from there to Athens and from Athens to Corinth. But he was not there long. And the first Sabbath he was there, he went, as his custom was, to a synagogue and began to reason with the Jewish people there in the Jewish synagogue. Can you imagine that? Uh, Can you imagine a non-Jewish preacher going into a Jewish synagogue and say, I want to tell you all about Jesus, the Messiah. Well, he did. And what happened, many of the Jewish people were converted. And you can read this in, in, in the book of Acts in, in chapter 17, if I remember correctly. It's interesting. Some of those who believe were the wealthy people. Now think about this, because what happened the Jewish people became so upset. They said, look, this guy, Paul, he's turned the world upside down elsewhere. Now he's come here and turned our world upside down. And some of our followers, some of our fellow Jewish believers are now changing over and becoming believers in Jesus. And, and what they did, they ran, they ran Paul and his group out of the city. So he wasn't there very long, but he made a tremendous impact. And then later he sent Timothy back to pastor that. And then word came to him about what was going on. And he wrote this letter to encourage them. That's what the whole book of 1 Thessalonians is about. Now, if you look with me in verses 16, 17, 18, let me read those three together. Here's something he wrote to them. He said, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, if you're an underliner, that little phrase, this is the will of God, underline it. And it applies to verses 16, 17, and 18. It doesn't just apply to in everything give thanks for this is the will of God. It also applies to pray without ceasing. It also applies to rejoice always. So here, all together are three things we know And they are three very practical things. It is the will of God. What? It is the will of God. And wish you'd jot this down in your bulletin. It is the will of God to rejoice always. Now think about that. That's short and to the point. It is God's will that we rejoice always. Uh, It's the key word is always. And it's easier for me to say it than it is for me to do it. 
It's easier for you to say it than it is for you to do it. But this is what God's word says we're to do. But you ask this question. Now look, pastor, sometimes difficult things come into life. Sometimes painful things come into life. Sometimes that which we did not expect comes into life. How in the world am I going to rejoice during those times? Well, let me, let me share with you because it's a valid question. And all of us in life, if we've not already, we go through, we will, we'll go through some things that we wish had never happened. And yet God says, it's my will, no matter what, you rejoice always. You say, well, now, how do we do that? <laughs> I mean, that, I know, preacher, you ought to tell us we're supposed to do that. Well, no, I'm not telling you to do that. God's telling us to do that. No matter what all happens out here, we are to rejoice always. Now, how do you do it? Well, let me give you, let me give you a couple of things, I think. First of all, this is practical. Use God's Word to help you do that. Use God's Word to help you do that. Now, let me give you a verse. Just jot the verse down. You can read it later. Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Now, we all know Romans 8, 28. We like to talk about that. All things work together. That's true. But there's, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, there's a truth that it's a great starting place. You're going through something in life you wish had never happened. What do you do? Well, you, you use God's word to help you. And Romans 8, 18 would be one of many verses that would help you. That verse says, the sufferings that you're now going through are not worthy even to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed unto you one day. I love that verse. No matter what comes your way in 2022, you just remember this. No matter how bad it might be, and I pray it be not, but whatever. It is not worthy to even be compared with the glory that is one day going to be revealed to you in your life. So you use God's word. Romans 8 verse 18 is a great starting place. Now, number two under that, I encourage you, and I've done this before. Hopefully you have a life verse, L-I-F-E, a life verse. Now it may change as you go along in life. That's okay. But a life verse really helps you when things come along that are tough, they're hard, they're discouraging, they're disappointing. Now, my life verse doesn't need to be yours, but it sure is mine and has been for several years is, is, is Psalm 16, verse 8 in the NIV. I think the NIV does the best job on that verse. I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him in my right hand. I will not be shaken. I love that verse. And sometimes when something happens and it's just like the rug has been pulled out from under me, you've experienced that. I said, now, wait a minute. As bad as this is, as discouraging as this is, it's not even worthy to compare with the glory. It's going to be revealed to me. And then I remember, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. In other words, don't just stay focused on that thing, whatever it may be. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him, my right hand will not be shaken. All right, and number three, I encourage you to do this. Uh, have a help verse. H-E-L-P. Have a help verse. 
Now, my help verse, and there are many, look, the Bible's full of these. You, there are many verse, let the Holy Spirit give you your life verse. But, but my help verse at this time in my life seems to be in the, in the Gospel of John in chapter number 14, verse number 27. Jesus said, peace I give you, or peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You say, well, now what's magic about that? Well, there's nothing magic about it. Look, when we're going through something we wish had not happened, painful, difficult, what do we need more than it? We need peace. And it can be a very minor thing. It can be a very major thing. But I'll tell you what, I'm almost ashamed that you, I'm going to do it anyway. I may not do it the next service. I don't know them as well as I do you. And they probably, some of them would think, but like I, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at John 14, 27 in my Bible. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as world gives I give to you. And then let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, on December 6th, this past December, I, I wrote under that verse, Dr. Campbell, root canal repair, 12, 6, 21. That morning, 9.50, he started on me. And they don't use gas. This doctor doesn't know about gas. I want everything they can give me when I'm having major dental work done. He said, no, we don't use gas. I thought, well, I'm sure glad I brought John 14, 27. I would say that during that hour and 10 minutes, I must have said that verse a hundred times, and I exaggerate not. And I'm going to give you a testimony. I had peace through the whole deal. I said, God, <laughs> you know, you, you say a heart won't be troubled and won't be afraid. God, my heart is troubled, and I'm scared to death. But I'm saying this to you. Think about that. Jesus promises to give his peace. And, you know, for me, if I can have peace having a root canal repair job, that's worse than just a root canal. You got to go fix some other stuff. But, I mean, there are a lot of things in life more difficult than that. But it matters not what we go through. I'm saying to you, you need you a help verse. That's a good one. But you find one, let God lead it to you. So it is God's will that we rejoice always. Next, it's God's will also. Now let's let's just let's just go back to our scripture here in verse 17. Pray without ceasing. So it's God's will to pray continually. Continually. Now that's a that, that's a that's a very interesting thing. Uh, you know, you remember Paul, like Paul didn't live in a monastery where he just prayed 24-7. No, no. In fact, the fascinating thing to me about the two times I've gone on Paul's journeys is the geographical distance this man covered, not by jet airplane, but by the mode of transportation of that day. I mean, it's just unbelievable how one man could have covered all this territory. So he was a busy missionary, pastor, preacher. And he's God using him to say, pray without ceasing. Now, uh, you know, it's not talking about 
nonstop praying. It's not teaching. We just walk around all day just praying to God and doing nothing else. But it's talking about live your life in a spirit of connection and communication with God. And the little phrase, I like the little phrase. The first person I ever heard use this phrase was Rick Warren. It's, it's the little phrase, breath prayers. I'd never heard it said that way. I had been doing it and didn't know what I was doing. But like just throughout the day, have conversation with God. Don't, don't confine your prayer time to your quiet time only. That'd be, that'd be awful. That'd be like me saying to Dottie, Dottie, now look, every day I want us to find one time during the day in each 24 hours that you and I can talk. And outside of that little time, whatever it is, the rest of the 24 hours, we don't talk at all. We're busy going through our day. That's not how I live with my wife. No, no. It shouldn't be how we live with God. Just through the day, as you have a need, you have a worry, you have a concern, you need wisdom about something, something pops in your mind, you think, how can I handle this? You know, now I, I ask God to do things for me sometimes. It may not even be biblical. Like when I'm trying to find a parking place sometimes, I say, now, Lord, I'm about to be at the parking garage. Would you just open me up a place? I think God would say to me, in that, and of course, from once and every now and then, one will open up and I'll say, thank you, God. But anyway, I, at least I'm acknowledging that I do ask God to help me. And I think that's more important than whether I get the parking place I want or not. But I want to encourage you, just as you go through the day, pray continually. Just don't, don't just let it be what you do before you leave home or what you do right before you go to bed. Now, as you just journey through the day, be in conversation with God. It is the will of God. Not only that, it's God's will that we be thankful people. Look in verse 18. Uh, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God, as is rejoicing always, as is praying without ceasing. We are to be a thankful person. Now, I don't think naturally being a thankful person is what we are when difficult things come our way. That's just not human nature to be, to be that way when things come that we had not expected. But I think here is where Romans 8.28 really does help us. If we really believe God is sovereign, whether we understand something or not, the Bible says all things work together for good to them that love God and called according to his purpose. So if you're, if you're a believer and you're really serious about God, trying to do what God says do, here's the bottom line. When the unexpected comes, it was not unexpected to God. He either sent it or he allowed it for, for a purpose. And the key is we respond appropriately. And that helps us to be a thankful person. We're not thanking God for the cancer. No, we're not thanking God for the tragedy. We're thanking, God, we're thanking God for how he will bring good from all of that. And time and time again, we see God take things that, uh, you know, the, the old statement, I've made it many times, whatever you wish had not happened in your life is probably your ministry. You think about that. Whatever you wish hadn't happened. You know, you... And I've seen that over and over and over because it's through people that have had things happen they wish had not happened that can turn right around and be a channel 
to help others as they go through the very same or similar things in their life. Now, one other little matter, and I want you to turn back in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. We won't go far, but see one other thing. It's God's will. It's God's will to become more like Jesus. Now, look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. The Bible says, for this is the will of God. Now, I'm not on Google. I'm in the Word of God. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And the Bible says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he starts into the very first area in that, dealing with sexual purity. But that's just one area of sanctification. The word sanctify simply means set apart from sin for divine service. That's really what it means. Sanctification is just a big old long word we're seeing about. Bottom line, simple language, sanctification is simply the process of becoming more like Jesus. It's a process. It's not like salvation. Salvation is an instantaneous thing. We repent of our sins. We ask the Lord to come in our heart. Boom, we are saved. Sanctification is not like this. We're in the process of becoming more like Jesus. Now, if you go back in chapter 5 and look in verse 23, something very interesting about sanctification, and that is it's the work of God. You can't sanctify yourself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That means your body, your soul, and your mind that you may that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. That word preserved means kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the process of sanctification, God has his part. It's, it's the work of God. You say, what's our part in it? Our part in it is to do everything we can as we journey along in life in this process to do what? To, to keep uh, our spirit and our soul and our body blameless. We, that's our part. We do what we can. Say, okay, now here's something in my mind I shouldn't do or think, and here's something in my spirit's not right, and here's my body. You put, that's this whole idea of completeness. So, so we have a part in that in a wonderful, wonderful way. But it's a process. You might want to jot down Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident this very thing, that we, he which hath begun a good work in you, that's salvation, will complete it. That's that sanctification on the day of Jesus Christ. So somewhere in the journey from the moment you were saved, you're out here somewhere in your process of sanctification and just keep at it and do what you can do to be blameless in that area. Now, let me conclude this way. I want to have a challenge this morning to all that are Christians. You are believers. You know you're saved. Okay? Now, here's the challenge. It's a little different than what I would normally do. I don't want you to make a decision if you're already a Christian. Now, now on this whole matter about my, my goal is to know God's will and do it. My challenge to you is consider that becoming your goal spiritually for 2022. You say, well, why don't you just get us to make a commitment right now? Because I'm serious about what I'm preaching. In fact, I'm just drawing a line in the sand. For those who are really serious about God, I'm, I mean, 
you're serious about God. Well, we need to, we need to think through things before we commit. I'm just asking you to consider it. Think about it. Think what it would do to your lifestyle. To know God's will and do it. You just, you ponder it. And if the Holy Spirit impresses upon you, you know what? That needs to be my spiritual goal for 2022. Know God's will and do it. And if God clarifies that to you, then you just get along with the Lord and make that commitment and ask God to help you to do that. Now, while believers are pondering that, I want to have a challenge to non-believers. I think this is very, very important. Or those that, that say, you know, I'm not sure. Here we are, first Sunday in 2022. There'll be people here me today that would say, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm going to heaven. I, I really do, but I just don't have 100% peace about it, okay? Or you may say, I know I'm not saved. That might be the case. Listen to me carefully. The Bible says it is God's will for you to be saved. 